Hello, precious friends. This is the last lesson in our series on foundations of an empowered life. If you have not gotten all of these and want to, you can go to kingdomrock.org, find the Ladies Bible Class tab, and they're all on there. So you can start over, or if you missed one, or if you want to share with friends, you will find all of this on kingdomrock.org. Today we want to talk about putting off and putting on. Let's review for a little bit. In repentance, God has a part and we have a part. Repentance is not just feeling sorry for sin. It's doing something about it. Repentance is to be the lifestyle of a believer. It's not something we just do one time. It's a way that we think. At one point in time, a believer repents when he surrenders to Christ in salvation, but that one-time repentance sets in motion a need for us to walk in a lifestyle of repentance where we stay clean, where we keep our sins confessed. Re repentance first takes place as a change of mind. We talked about temptation taking place in the mind, and so repentance takes place there as well. Repentance um, means that we respond, we first respond to spiritual matters in our minds. Literally, repentance means a change of mind, but that change of mind is going to produce a change of behavior. Before a sin becomes an act, it is a thought. And as we walk in repentance, we hold our thoughts up to the light of God's word and we choose to agree with God about it and bow to his will. We are constantly renewing our minds in God's word and it keeps our minds in line with God's truth. And once our minds are changed in repentance, there's going to be a time, it may not be immediate, but there's going to be a time that it's going to show up in our behavior. In our Christian walk, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against lies that we're told. We're fighting against right thinking and wrong thinking. You know, Satan is our enemy. He is an enemy of God and an enemy of God's people. Scripture tells us that he is a liar, a deceiver, and the father of lies. I sum that up to say he's good at it. He's good at telling us lies. He's good at getting us to believe lies. He's good at deceiving us. And so in the world today, as we walk through the world, then we are constantly exposed to his lies and his deceptions. We see people around us accepting the lies and almost by, I guess, assimilation, we begin to go with that flow. We have a tendency to be like those around us, to imitate them, to copy them. And so what happens is we become acclimated to sin. And that has happened to us pretty much in our world today. And, and you know, we may notice that, that we have begun to feel okay with lies that we've been told. And we may even find that we're beginning to believe lies that Satan has told us that are against God's word. They may be lies about me, 
myself personally. They may be lies about my relationships. They may be lies about um, things that Satan wants us to believe are okay, that God says no. And so it just seems like it's easier sometimes to believe lies than it is to believe God's truth. <clears throat> well, we get stuck in our heads sometimes uh, if we're not intentional about taking every thought. How many thoughts? Every thought captive. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Paul prefaced all of that section in 2 Corinthians 10 by saying, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk according to the flesh. And so there's where the distinction takes place. The difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. The difference between walking in truth and walking in lies. Now, when we get comfortable walking in the flesh and letting our flesh rule our thoughts, then we're subject more and more to believing lies, more and more lies. And so all lies, all lies come from the enemy. All lives come from the devil. God never, never lies. And he never, never deceives. God won't do that. And so, I don't know, I was thinking about this. Did you ever try to um, untangle yarn? I like to knit. And so sometimes when you're dealing with yarn, it just gets in a wadded up mess. Maybe you crochet. Or maybe a better thing would be to think about untangling Christmas lights. We have to be intentional and tedious. We have to find where the kinks are, where the knots are, and then we have to untangle them. Well, as we walk in a lifestyle of repentance, then we're going to set our sights on truth. And what begins to happen is that we need to constantly untangle lies from truth. So we're going to be examining them as we go, as we walk. Now, Scripture describes a process for us that gives us structure. I, that's the way I think of it. Just kind of a structure for our walking in repentance, which is what we're going to do when we do our part in our sanctification. Remember, sanctification is that part between our salvation and our uh, going home to heaven where God is dealing with us and he is working with us and he is making us more and more like Christ. It is a process. We're set apart on the books of heaven when we're saved, but we're going to learn to walk set apart in the world. That is sanctification. It also is kind of, it's a lifestyle of repentance. And so this process, as we pursue this lifestyle of holiness, then there are going to be some things we're going to put off and some things we're going to put on. Scripture is full of it. We're going to put off anything that is not holy and we're not going to just put it off and not put something back on. So we're going to replace what we're putting off with putting on the right thing. It's just like wearing clothes. You don't take some off without putting some back on. And scripture is clear that we don't need to just remove something without filling something back into it. So when we take off that which is 
unholy or that, you know, which we, which we need to deal with, that it's not really like God, then we're going to put something in its place. So this is replacement thinking and it's replacement doing. And so we're also going to put away anything that fuels the sinful things. Um, we have a, uh, we have a chance to put on the holy life that is ours through Christ. He's given us the ability to do that. Scripture's full of things we're to put off and put on. There are lots of references to it in the Bible. But for an example, go with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 17 through 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk, those are unbelievers, in the futility of their, watch it, mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former life, former manner of life, you put off the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, put off the old self, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. When we receive Jesus Christ, when you're born again, a complete transformation takes place. We're totally made new all over again. It's a dramatic change that makes us a totally different individual. There's a new you that is fitted for heaven. The old you was not fit for heaven. Now, with a transformation of being saved, you're fitted for heaven. You're able to communicate with God. You're able to respond to God. And so you're already a citizen of God's kingdom if you're saved. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, if any man or any person be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away all things have become new. Change, transformation from the old self to the new self. Now in Paul's epistles, he talks about a new will, a new mind, a new heart, a new power, a new wisdom, a new inheritance, a new relationship, a new righteousness. It just goes on and on and on. It's newness of life. And that's what happens to us when we're saved, when we're truly saved. And so there are new garments for a new person. So 
The basis here is that as believers, we're not to have a daily manner of life like people who don't know God. We're to be distinct from the world. We're to be distinct from fleshly living. We're to be different. He's called us out to be different so that we can shine a light and be an example in the world. But notice how much it has to do with the mind. Verse 17 said what? In the futility that Gentiles walk in futility of their mind. Then in verse 18, he begins with understanding. And then in verse 20, we see learned. In 21, we see taught. In 23, we're back to see that we're to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Your mind is the issue. And so James chapter four and verse four says, friendship with world is enmity with God. A friend of the world is an enemy of God, like Satan is an enemy of God. That's his kingdom. It's his domain. Believers are different. We are different. God made us different at the moment of our salvation, but we've got to learn to walk differently. After Jesus came out of the wilderness, having been tempted by the devil for 40 days, <clears throat> he began to preach. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the first thing he preached was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. That's a thing all through Old Testament, New Testament, through the whole Bible. So when we repent, we're going to make a conscious intentional effort to turn from the world, to turn from our sin, and to turn from evil things. God calls some things evil that we don't call evil. So we've got to know what God calls evil so that we'll know what to turn from. And we become sensitive to those things as God fills us with his truth. As we renew our minds in his word, as we become full of his truth, we get better and better at identifying those evil things. His truth gives us a, a moral sensitivity. It gives us a sensitivity to sin so that we get better and better at identifying it and know when we're being tempted by it or maybe know when we've fallen into it. So it is a renewed mind, a renewed mind. That's the kind of mind that is governed by God's truth and is pleasing to him. So in verse 22 here of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's message is put off the old self. Put off the old self. And then beginning in 25, verse 25, he gets very practical, very specific. Let's read verses 25 through 32. <clears throat> Therefore, putting off or laying aside, some translations say, putting off falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. Put it off. Don't steal anymore. Put it on. But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with those who are in need. 
Let no rotten is the literal word. This Bible says unwholesome. It could be corrupt or foul. Let no corrupt, foul, unwholesome, rotten word proceed from your mouth. Don't do it. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put off, be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another. Put it on, put on kindness. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. See, scripture is full of things that we are to put off and put on. I went through and made a quick list. Uh, here's, a, here's a list, just an example, and it really it just goes on and on, of things we're to put off. We're to put off lack of love, judging, bitterness, unforgiveness, selfishness, pride, stubbornness, disrespect for authority, rebellion, impatience, ungratefulness, covetousness, murmuring, jealousy, strife, anger, wrath, lying, a critical spirit, profanity, slothfulness, idolatry, neglect of Bible study, cheating, stealing, sexual immorality, witchcraft, gambling. The list is extensive. It goes on and on and on. So kind of there we have a picture of evil, of sins that God's looking for us to put off, to get rid of. Then there's a list of put on. He says, the scriptures say, put on love, put on forgiveness, humility, brokenness, honoring authority, submission, obedience, patience, gratitude, praise, trust, peace, self-control, not easily provoked, kindness, speaking truth, pure thoughts, diligence, praying, hospitality, eternal values, generosity, moral purity, worshiping God, fearing God. That list is extensive. Now, another word for putting off in scripture is mortification. It means to, to kill or to put to death. Um, that kind of relates to how we're to deal with sin. I think that in itself indicates that there's a struggle. There's a battle with that sometimes in dealing with sin. Um, I like to plant a garden. Maybe many of you have had a garden and <clears throat> it's a constant challenge. If you have a garden to contend with the weeds over and over, you contend with the weeds. Now they just keep poking up in places you don't want them, places you don't need them. And so we can cut them back. We might even <clears throat> weed eat them with a weed eater. Uh, we can mow them. And what happens? They come right back. Now there's a lesson in that because the only way to really deal with weeds in a garden is to pull them up. 
and don't throw them down too close to the garden dirt. You got to pull them up and get rid of them or do something to kill them. Holiness and sin cannot thrive together at the same time. A beautiful garden and weeds cannot thrive together at the same time. The weeds are going to do what? They're going to snuff out your good garden. They're an enemy. They're a challenge to the good things that you have growing there. And so when we look at holiness and sin, we've got to choose. One of them's got to go. One of them's got to go. I'm going to have to make a choice as to whether I want holiness or if I want sin. And if I allow those weeds of sin to grow up unchecked in my heart and in my mind and in my behavior, the, the expression of the life of Christ through me is going to be choked out. The world won't see him. I will be confusing to the people who are looking for the example of Christ in the world. So pulling up the weeds <clears throat> does not only apply to things that are inherently sinful. Um, it also involves dealing with influences that may not be sinful within themselves, but they may coax us into thinking wrong thoughts or they may stimulate us to wrong behavior. Um, we've got to cut off the things as well that lead us to sin, that lead us into temptation. Um, you know, it may be something as simple as a TV. There are great things on television. But what happens if I watch it too much? What happens if I watch wrong things? What happens if I watch so many fleshly things that those things give me thoughts? And what happens when those thoughts stay in my mind too long? then I may well be going to act out that sinful thing. So we've got to cut off things that lead us to sin, get away from them. We learn to protect our hearts and minds from pathways that lead us to sin. So that there are going to be times as you're walking with the Lord, you're going to see a situation and you're going to think, I don't need to go there. That temptation in that situation is too strong for me. I've said things like this to you before, but if I'm on a diet, I don't need to go to the Dairy Queen. I don't need to look at a hot fudge sundae, okay? So I need to back off. I need to plan where I'm going so that I will be kept away from that temptation to sin. I need to be on guard for any pathway that will lead me to that place. Christ died on the cross for our sin so that we could be free from sin. God knows how destructive sin is. It is against everything in God's plan, always. He will use it sometimes, but no, no. He doesn't want any part of it. And so the cross is the place where the death blow is applied to sin. That's where our nature is changed. That's where our our hearts are changed. Is it the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so scripture teaches us that we're to reckon ourselves to have been crucified with him. I'm already dead by faith. My sin, sinfulness is already dead because Christ died to take it away. But we also make a daily determined choice to reject sin's presence in our lives. Now, we've said this before. I'll say it again. 
when we were saved, we were delivered from the eternal penalty of sin. But I have not been saved yet from the presence of sin or the power of sin in this world. And I walk in this world. So I've got to be on the lookout for it and I've got to be ready to reject it. To what degree do we really want to live an empowered life? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, <clears throat> holiness is not something we are called upon to do in order that we may become something. Holiness is something we are to do because of what we already are. Holiness is something we're called to do because of what we already are. God, at the moment of our salvation, God gave us provision for holiness. So let me ask the question again. To what degree do we really, really want to live an empowered life? What am I willing to do in my part to free God up to live empowerment through me? Am I really willing to humble myself before the Lord, to yield my rights to Him, to yield my will to Him, to respond immediately as He gives me direction and instruction? That that, remember from our series, is walking in brokenness. That's what brokenness is when I yield to him quickly. That positioning of brokenness <clears throat> is going to cause me to stand in awe of God and to hate sin. Those are the two things that Scripture gives us as the definition of fear of the Lord. And so, Scripture is just full of promises. I've been tempted to just do a lesson on that. Full of just promises in Scripture to those who fear the Lord. So in my brokenness, I'm going to stand in awe of Him. I'm going to hate sin because He's going to give me His mind about what it does. And I'm, I'm going to hate it like He does. That's inherent in me. It is inherent in the holiness that He gave to me. And he promises things to those who fear the Lord. When I'm walking in brokenness and fear of the Lord and I, I stand in awe of him, then I'm going to be confronted with his holiness. I'm going to be stunned by his holiness. That perfection that he has that is eternal, unlimited, always perfect always perfect. And so his command to us is what? You be holy. It's a command. Be holy because I am holy. Now, deep down, I think we'd like to find a quick, easy way to a life of holiness. It'd be nice. You know, we, we're accustomed to, um, Fast foods, microwaves, drive-through windows, we don't like to wait for much. And lots of times we don't like to wait for spiritual things to happen in our lives. And so we'd really like to find a quick and easy way to a life of holiness. But you know what? In reality, there is no such thing. It's not going to happen. It's not there. It does not exist. Because the pathway to holiness requires from us intense intensity and intentionality. 
I've got to be intense about it, and I've got to be intentional about it. I've got to be going after it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It could be translated, be dedicated to holiness. It could be translated, I think the New International Version says, make every effort to be holy, to walk out the holiness that is in you. The English Standard Version says, strive for holiness. Another one, Kenneth Wiest, who's written some uh, literal translations, translates that, constantly be eagerly seeking after holiness. Constantly be eagerly seeking after holiness. We've got to concentrate on it. We've got to think about it. We've got to set our focus on it. We've got to work at it. It has got to be a goal for us. As I focus on holiness, then I'm going to become sensitive to my sin. I'm going to become sensitive to my sin, and I'm going to become sensitive to the sin that I see all around me. And I've got to react to it quickly. Remember we said when God nudges us with conviction, the time to act is right then in that moment. So when I see that sin in me, then immediately, then I'm going to confess that sin. I'm going to agree with God about it. I'm going to ask him to let me hate that sin the way he hates that sin. And so I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to agree with God about it. And I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to put it off. That's my response to my confession. And so What's going to happen then daily is I'm going to change. My behavior is going to change. All of that's going to begin to show up in my behavior. What happens if I see sin around me that I'm not involved in? I'm going to pray. Just in that moment, I'm going to say, Lord, I see this. Cleanse us. Move among us. Remove this love for sin, this carelessness in sin. And you know what? It is warfare. It's warfare. Um, I may find that I'm torn between the desire to do what is right and the desire to hold on to a pet sin. What do I do? I tell the Lord that that's my heart. I agree with him that that's my heart. And I ask him to help me. But it, it is amazing that we as people sometimes want to cling to a sin even though we know that sin makes us miserable. He's given us the opportunity to make a choice, to make a choice. So I'm going to live my life putting off my old ways and putting on my new ways. That's my lifestyle. That's my habit. Ways that are in keeping with the holiness of God. I will make a daily determined choice to reject sin's rule in my life. So let me go back to my question for me, and I hope for you. Do I really want to live an empowered life? Do I really want to see positive change in my world? Am I willing to do these things? 
to participate in positive change in my world, do I want to see that kind of positive change and the power of God in my church? I can say, yes, I want it. But the question is, am I willing to do what my part is going to be, what I'm going to have to do to help bring it about? In many ministries and churches, we believers are knocking ourselves out, trying to be relevant to the world around us. One of Satan's lies is that we have to believe that they have to see themselves in us so that they'll be comfortable within us. That is not scriptural. And so often we have accommodated the world instead of calling the world to accommodate Christ. That's our job. Number one, to accommodate Christ. Our greatest effectiveness is not when we are like the world, is not when we make our friends or our acquaintances or even ourselves comfortable in our sin. That does not make God attractive to them. Our greatest effectiveness is when we are distinct from the world and we are when we are distinct from the world, we are going to be like Jesus. If you look at the life of Jesus, you never see him doing any of that stuff. He was just Jesus. He maintained God's character. He maintained God's holiness. He maintained God's purity and meekness and love and mercy and grace. Watch him. Look at him. Read about him in the Gospels. You don't see that. And he's the one that's changed the world. He never compromised. We are not to live lives that compromise his holiness. When we do that, we're telling the world a lie about what God is like. A watered down, compromised version of Christianity doesn't work. Doesn't work. Not going to change lives. You know what? The world is waiting for believers to get right with God. The world is waiting for the church to get right with God. The most powerful tool in the process is the Word of God. The Word of God. Jesus prayed, I love John 17, you know, that's the high priestly prayer where Jesus prays for us. He prayed for um, the people then, and he prayed for the future church. That's us. And when he prayed, he says, sanctify them. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he, Jesus says to the Father, sanctify them. What are you going to do? Make them holy. Make them set apart. Sanctify them. How? By your truth. Then he says, your word, God's word is truth. That's what's going to sanctify us. That's what's going to change us. So God's word can protect us from sin and it can purify us when we do sin. God's word. Our progress in living an empowered life will never, never exceed our relationship with the word of God. We cannot do it apart from this word. And devotional books are good. I love them. 
but they must not take the place of reading God's word. It's the difference between reading a menu and eating the food in the restaurant. Which you rather do when you're hungry? You're just going to read the menu and go on home? Are you going to consume, partake? And that's what we're to do with God's word. That is our part. We as individuals must do that. I can't eat for you. You can't eat for somebody else. We've got to choose to do that. So here's my question at the end of this series. This is about surrender. It's not about me deciding I'm going to commit. It's about surrendering to what God has said. So my question is, will you surrender with me? Will you surrender with me? Surrender to what, Sharon? I, I want surrender to brokenness, to the fear of the Lord, to holiness, and to dealing with sin. And that's not something we just do those things one time. We do them over and over. It's like eating every day. It's like breathing every day. I'm going to surrender to being the, in the Word of God, consuming the Word of God. And if we do that, then I believe that God will do a work in our lives, in our families, in our churches, and in our world that is beyond anything we can even imagine. Empowered lives change the world. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need your heart and your mind. Would you give us the desire to do your will? Would you open the eyes of our understanding to see what you're calling us to and what you're willing to do with it when we respond to you? Would you cleanse us from every sin and unrighteousness? Would you use us? Would you move among us with the power of your Holy Spirit in our homes and in our communities, in our nation, in our world? Would you let us see you and then bow before you? We are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful to be able to stand before the almighty God of the universe and know that we're received with love and mercy. We bow before you. We enthrone you to be the God that you are. So would you go with us and put this in our hearts and in our behavior that we may show the world what a changed person looks like. Not in arrogance, not in self-righteousness, but in the brokenness of humility, understanding that it's all because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am so grateful to pray in the almighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.